0: Abandon all remote controls, ye who enter here. It's time to unlock the gates to Telehell. Let me begin this one by stating up front I was never a fan of the Dukes of Hazzard. Their way, the only way they know how. That doesn't necessarily mean I hated it. But just because I wasn't a fan doesn't mean that it was a bad show to everybody else. Quite the contrary. It was clearly popular enough to have lasted seven seasons. To be fair, I was born about a year after they were cancelled in 1985, and I never caught a rerun of it a day in my life. So forgive me if I'm not as diehard about it as others tend to be. To be even further fair, not a lot of critics like the show either. According to author David Hofstede's book, What Were They Thinking?, Series co-creator Guy Waldron had over 200 reviews of the show from its first season mounted on his office walls. Of those 200, only four of them were positive ones, but it didn't matter. The show made stars out of the likes of John Schneider and Tom Wopat as Bo and Luke Duke, respectively, Catherine Bach as their buxom but independent cousin Daisy, Denver Pyle as their Uncle Jesse, not to be confused with John Stamos on a different show entirely, Sorrell Book as the lovably loathable Boss Hogg, country singer Waylon Jennings as the show's narrator, otherwise known as the Balladeer. And more than anything else, it made the southern region of the United States feel like a star as well. And all thanks not just to the actors, but to the secret star of the show, the 1969 Dodge Charger with a Confederate flag on the roof known as the General Lee, as well as the stunts the car would pull off each week. So much so that it was long theorized that that was the reason people tuned into the show more than anything else. Yes, even more than the low-cut attire Daisy Duke had on every week. As the show ended its fourth season in 1982, it maintained its position as one of the top 10 shows of the year for three years in a row. And for a while, CBS, the network that aired it, thought it had its Friday nights locked up for good thanks to the one-two punch of the Dukes and Dallas dominating the evening. But then, two of its stars noticed a major problem. One that set off a domino effect that ultimately resulted in the General Lee's timing bell getting snapped, so to speak, resulting in one of the biggest miscastings in showbiz history. Would viewers care that the stars were replaced by carbon copies? Or would them Duke boys be staring down the barrel of the gun? in hell In the spring of 1982, CBS retained its position as the most watched network on television. Among their shows, the Dukes were ranked at number six for the year, four slots down from the previous year, but still popular enough to keep winning their time slot every week. So much so that stars Tom Wopat and John Schneider started to ask for a little more. Their first major complaint was over just how dumbed down some of the scripts they would get turned out to be. Sometimes complaining to Warner Brothers, the studio that produced the series, that the audience wasn't as dumb as they thought they were. WB didn't bat an eye at the issue, considering that people were tuning in anyway, regardless of the lack of quality script content. But what really got the Duke boys' attention was something they discovered during that summer's hiatus. Since the Dukes were one of the most popular shows on television at that time, it's only natural for something of a high popularity to reap incredibly large uncalled-for profits because of it. Schneider and Wopat found out through a number of third parties that the money being made from merchandising alone as of 1982 reached nearly 200 million dollars in profits for Warner Brothers. Simply put, Every time somebody bought a t-shirt, lunchbox, poster, trucker hat, action figure, board game, toy car, keychain, bottle opener, drinking glass, wristwatch, beer cozy, or anything else that had the General Lee or the cast represented in one way or another, the proceeds would essentially go toward another vacation home for Bugs Bunny before it went to the stars of the show. Reportedly, Schneider and Wopat were supposed to receive 5% of total revenue from the merchandising on top of their annual acting salary. What they got in 1982 was just a little less than $25,000 a piece. Now them Duke boys knew a horn swoggling when they saw it. So when Schneider and Wopat found out about just how much was being held back not just for them, but their co-stars as well, they were ready to jump into the General Lee and peel off in protest. Of course, being the gentlemanly southerners they were, or at least playing on TV, they found themselves in a difficult position of leaving the rest of the cast twisting in the wind. So much so, that when co-star Catherine Bach found out that she too was being shortchanged, she wanted to protest along with Schneider and Wopat. The boys wisely told Daisy to stay behind and let them handle things, especially because if all three lead characters were to quit, there would be no show to come back to if and when everything was said and done. Schneider and Wopat proceeded to sue Warner Brothers Television for an estimated $25 million in back wages from merchandising, only for Warner Brothers to put on their best white suit to play the role of boss hog in the matter. The studio proceeded to countersue Schneider and Wopat for an estimated $117 million for breach of contract. But more importantly, Because the fall TV season was drawing closer, WB thought they could have their cake and eat it too. Accordingly, they launched a nationwide talent search to replace Bo and Luke, while the two stars and the studio embarked on their version of the Hatfields and McCoys. The nationwide search began for the replacement Duke boys. Estimates of nearly 2,000 people in major cities went up for the roles. But because time was a factor in getting the season started, the producers had somewhat loose standards when it came to finding the next Bo and Luke. Naturally, they wanted to find someone who can act, but at this point, they were willing to settle for someone who could speak in a southern accent. As the casting call was going on, Schneider wasn't too worried about it. According to another one of David Hofstede's books, The Unofficial Dukes of Hazard* Guide, Schneider was so confident that the conflict between him, Wopad, and Warner Brothers would get resolved quickly, that he personally recommended his own replacement, a former flight attendant from Atlanta, Georgia, named Byron Cherry. Cherry may not have had much acting experience at that point, but he was certainly the spitting image of Schneider. So much so, that Cherry actually intended to audition for the show when it was first being cast in 1978. Unfortunately, he got called to work on a last-minute red-eye flight, so that chance had to wait. Four years later, Cherry got the chance he'd been hoping for, getting cast as emergency cousin number one, Coy Duke. Cherry relished at the opportunity, being quoted to say, "'All I want to do is keep Warner Brothers happy and show up on time.'" The role of the second emergency cousin, Vance Duke, went to someone with slightly more experience character actor Christopher Chip Mayer, whose only major acting experience at that point were a handful of TV movie roles. His casting came at a rather opportune time, considering the apartment he was living in at the time was recently robbed, and he was expecting a child with his then new wife, actress Terry Copley, future star of the short-lived sitcom, We've Got It Made. Oh great, another item to add to the to-do pile. Duly noted, anyway, with both Emergency Duke Boys cast, production on season five of the show, as well as a subsequent Saturday morning cartoon show, which we will not be covering, would commence. As the fall TV season of 1982 ramped up, CBS wanted to assure everybody who visited Hazard County every week. That despite their key figures fighting a good fight off camera that nothing would really be changing aside from two very obvious ones to make sure of this the network promoted the arrival of the new dukes as though they've always been a part of the show in the hopes that the fervent viewers of the program wouldn't notice the difference incidentally as an insurance measure warner brothers took the extra step of rehiring a familiar face to the show actor sonny schroyer who played bumbling but good-hearted Hazard County Sheriff's Deputy Enos, who briefly had a spin-off series of his own in 1980 before it got canceled after one season. With all of the pieces in place, the biggest question yet to be answered was, if America would buy into the ruse. (coughs) September 24th, 1982. Rocky III was one of the summer's biggest hit movies, and its major soundtrack song, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor, was a chart-topping hit that we have no chance in hell of playing due to our meager budget. And at 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central and Mountain, Waylon Jennings' balladeer let us know about the changes we had in store.
1: Now I want y'all to take a real good long look, because Hazard County history is being made. Bo and Luke are leaving Hazard to fulfill a lifelong dream of racing on the NASCAR circuit. And the whole family's taking them to the airport. Old Bo just couldn't resist throwing in one last jump
0: just for old times' sake. Bye, boys. While the stock footage from the previous season plays, we get a deputy radioing to Boss Hogg and Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane the good news.
1: Well, Bo and Luke wasn't funny when they said it's gonna leave Hazard. I guess they're really gonna do it.
2: Are you, uh, are you positive? Are you absolutely positive?
0: Well, I'll bet that race, cousin boss been promising me for two years. So while the bad guys celebrate as only over-giddy Southerners do, We get to see the beginnings of the actual plot to the episode, as Boss Hogg radios a couple of helpers in what we presume is his latest money-making scheme. Uh,
2: Just how long will it be before uh, we're ready to try out my new secret weapon? We'll be ready to hit the test target by 3 o'clock this afternoon. Oh, no, 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 no. Make that two. Yeah, the sooner I get back
0: my investment, the better. While that's going on, we head over to the Duke's farm to see how Cousin Daisy and Uncle Jesse cope with life without Bo and Luke as well as telegraphing for the viewers at home just how awkward the off-screen situation is.
1: It ain't like they just
2: up and left us high and dry here. They didn't take that job now until they were sure Coyne
0: Vance would be along here to give us a hand.
1: Still, nobody could be like what one Luke.
0: Uncle Jesse then assures us that the incoming replacement Dukes are just as good as the originals, even though they have yet to log any camera time. Now listen, them two's got Duke blood in their veins. and Having that, they're gonna be something special. You wait and see. Just then, as if a bolt of lightning struck and spawned a Terminator, a mysterious car emerges from the sky and lands on the Duke's farm. Koi and Vance have arrived.
1: Sure beats any port I ever seen in the Merchant Marine. Damn! <laughs> we're to wonder if you'd ever get here. Oh, um, I don't know who's gonna get a welcome back like kiss. We would've come back years ago. <laughs> Isn't that right, Koi? Dude, we never woulda left.
0: Well, we had to have known who you were first before we had to wonder that. And this brings us to the number one problem with this casting ploy. The fact that the producers, writers, and almost everybody else involved with the show try to go to sometimes incredible lengths to convince the audience that these two virtual unknowns have been part of the family for years, even though at this point they've only uttered a couple sentences. Sort of like when a doctor tells you if you hold still, this isn't gonna hurt, but perhaps we're getting ahead of ourselves a little the emergency Dukes get the lay of the land. How about old Boss and Roscoe? Are they still up to their same old dirty tricks?
2: Oh, worse than ever. Now that Bo and Luke are gone, they're going to blame everything on (laughs) (laughs) y'all.
0: It wouldn't be Hazard without it. Meanwhile, back at Boss Hogg's office, we get the return of Enos, as well as a very Hoggish reason as to why he's back.
2: The governor's going to point him to the state police and station him right here in Hazard. Uh-oh. And since I sure ain't about to have a state trooper breathing down my neck, I want you to swear them back in.
0: So, at least one thing has returned to the status quo in Hazard County. But how would the Xerox Dukes react to his return? Well, keeping in mind for the uninitiated that one of the running gags on the show was Enos' unrequited but otherwise harmless crush on Daisy. One that certainly picks up wherever it left off. You well, fly devil, why didn't you tell me you were home?
2: I'm right sorry about that Daisy, but I wanted to have my old job back before I came a-calling. There's another
1: thing that ain't changed. Same old Ennis. Cool as all get out around the girls.
0: And again, we get that very odd disconnect where people treat the not-Dukes as though they've been around forever. Oh,
2: advanced Duke. i be ding dang, it's good to see y'all. Sheriff Roscoe told me that Bo and Luke was gone, but he never mentioned a word about y'all being here.
0: That's because Bobs don't know it yet. Oh, and before we forget, there's also an actual plot to this episode. How's that going?
1: Daisy and the boys had another surprise in store on the way to Capital City. And this surprise was spelled T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Find out what
0: it means to me. Oops. Sorry, had to do that. Anyway... We see Boss Hogg's hired goons, hired goons, working on something that I can only describe as a bulldozer, army tank, monster truck, and those spiked wheels that they used to take down Ben Hur. All of which are getting mixed in a blender along with a copy of Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive, or as the balladeer puts it, Boss's new secret weapon, the Mean Green Machine.
1: Shoot, scares the fire out of me and I don't even know what it does yet.
0: Fire the Green Machine storms its way through Capital City, until it eventually rams into the town bank.
2: Hold up your hands and stay put, nobody will get hurt.
0: Looks like they're making a withdrawal. All seems to be going the Green Machine's way, until...
1: What is that thing backing out of the bank? You mean what's left of the bank?
0: No matter who the Duke boys are, the show isn't truly the show without at least one car chase of some kind. The pseudo-dukes chase the green machine around Hazard County. The green machine starts to shoot at them, as well as leaving an oil slick behind, losing them in the process. The anti-dukes get back into the game, only to be stopped again, this time by a flamethrower that completely destroys their not General Lee. Witnessing what happened, they wax philosophically about what might happen next.
1: Oh, I can't figure this out. No way. I mean, where the thing come from? That ain't half as important as where it's going. If you saw what happened in Capital City. You can do the same thing to every bank in the state, mm-hmm. including the one in Hazard. Ain't no place safe with a monster like that on the loose.
0: Shortly thereafter, the counterfeit Dukes confront Boss Hogg and Sheriff Coltrane on what they just saw. And again, they mysteriously treat them as though they've always existed. Oh, when you lived
2: here six years ago, I thought we'd seen the last of you. And good riddance, stop bad rubbish, I might add. You were worse than born Luke, Duke.
0: Now them Duke boys are getting way ahead of themselves. Or maybe they lack crystal balls. But maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves, too. All three Dukes call out Hog on what's been going on. And as is the case on every episode since the dawn of time... Hog categorically denies it. You're
2: gonna find out differently when it comes to Hazard and robs your bank, boss. Oh, we can't rob his bank because... Because they don't, don't exist. Ah, oh, you Dukes, you're all alike. Yeah. You just come poking your nose in other people's Duke. business.
0: Poke, poke, poke. After giving them fair warning, all three Dukes leave the office begrudgingly.
2: They make their cousins, Bo and Luke, look like choir boys. Yeah, I know, He's just knows. Somebody up there. Hey. Oh, little fat buddy, somebody down here likes you. Okay, okay, okay,
0: slam the brakes for a second. Jeez, how long have I had those brakes? Anyway, look, I know the show is trying to go to fairly obvious lengths to make sure that the people watching are being tricked, uh, excuse me, convinced that the people that are filling in for Schneider and Wopat are suitable enough so that either nobody knows the difference or that they truly are distant enough members of the family so that they're remembered fondly, even though we're meeting them for the first time here. On the other hand, this sort of reminds me a little bit of the movie Wedding Crashers, or for that matter, anybody who crashes a wedding in general. You show up, you tell everybody your well-rehearsed cover story, you do so in a convincing way that people, who are total strangers, by the way, welcome you into the family and then you help yourself to the open bar. That almost feels like what's going on here, except replace the open bar with a craft services table and Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn with a pair of randos. Moving on, the artificial Dukes take the General Lee, or at least stock footage of it, out for a spin. All the while, Boss Hogg and Sheriff Coltrane catch up to the Green Machine and try to determine their next move.
2: Uh, you know all about uh, the genuine government hundred-dollar printing plates, don't you? <laughs> oh, yeah! That convoy is going to be passing through our own hazard. They're going to be detained right there on the highway by uh, what you saw in the barn. My mean Green Machine!
0: <laughs> we then get to see Boss Hogg use a hula hoop for no rhyme or reason, other than comic relief. Mm-hmm. That does my arms. Now for my legs. Your guess is as good as mine, folks. Anyway, we catch up to the imitation dukes as they try to figure out how to stop the tank. For that, we pay a visit to everybody's favorite backwoods mechanic, Ben Cooter-Jones.
2: All right, here we go. Right here, I think we got it. We're in business here.
0: And sure enough, even Cooter gets in on the whole we've known Coy and Vance for years routine.
1: I don't know if anybody's told you or not, but welcome back to Hazard. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Where y'all been? How you you looking good.
0: After more messing around with a hula hoop, the rest of Hogg's plan is revealed.
2: That armored convoy left Biloxi this morning. Ooh. That means that on Friday, it'll be coming down the Hazard Highway right on schedule. Ooh.
0: <laughs> we got nothing more to worry about. Except those dang Dukes. Except those dang Dukes. So Sheriff Coltrane tries to sabotage the forged Dukes by planning forged money inside the General Lee. The next day, Coy and Vance confront the drivers of the green machine.
2: Hey! Ain't that the two hot shots Boss warned us about? Hey,
1: ain't that that dude with the red handkerchief? Yeah, that's him.
0: I don't know if we ain't gonna wait around long enough to find out. The tank drivers eventually give the fraudulent Dukes the slip, but not before Sheriff Roscoe corners them.
1: Roscoe, will you quit clowning around? We think robbed the capital city bank getting away. Are you
2: kidding me? I know who robbed the bank and I'm looking right at him. All right, get out of that vehicle
0: and hand me the keys. The spurious Dukes discover that they were being set up and give the rest of the sheriff's department the slip. From there, we get into our next chase between them, the cops, and the tank drivers. So why don't we fast forward to the point where they actually get locked up? <laughs> which I'm sure the audience might have cared about if it were Bo and Luke in there, but since these aren't them, there's less sympathy in the audience to be spared. Luckily, Enos is there with a bail ex machina. By
2: selling my brand spanking new used car that I bought when I was in California. Thank you, Enos, but we can't let you do that. That's right, Enos, we can't, thank you. Already done did it, Daisy.
0: As the Duke family exits the jail, Vance shows Enos a clue left behind by the tank drivers. And thanks to his brief spinoff experience, Enos is able to send the Dukes on the right track.
2: Hey, I learned all about this kind of stuff in the Metro Squad of the California Police Department. This is the kind of paper the U.S. Mint uses to print money on.
0: Now that they have the printing paper, only one question remained. you got the right paper and ink. you got to have perfect plates this day and age.
2: And where are you going to find them in Hazard County?
0: And here it comes.
1: The U.S. government department of Mint $100 plates.
0: With the Duke family in motion, we begin our climax. The tank guys steal the money plates with Coy and Vance right behind them. The tank guys begin their attack.
1: Now, I do hope that they remember what happened the last time. I'd hate to see old General torched.
0: Meanwhile, the imposter dukes rethink things a little. Now, I can understand Roscoe patrolling the road to Seminole Canyon. Only why'd Boss be right along with him?
1: Because he's after the same thing we are. The green machine? It looks that way we use that bridge and then double back. It's a couple miles downstream, but it's better than driving through that quicksand.
0: Floor, cuz! <laughs> I know what you're thinking. It seems like the prevailing wisdom in human nature to automatically hate the thing that replaces another thing. Just ask anybody who replaced other beloved TV characters on their respective shows over the decades. But having had to watch a few scenes with Schneider and Wopat for comparison, obviously, Cherry and Mayor were never going to be the genuine article, no matter how hard they tried. That being said, in spite of their efforts, the lack of chemistry between both actors felt pretty evident in that scene just now. Moving right along, we soon discover that the tank guys are about to double-cross Hogg and Sheriff Coltrane. We need a press.
2: How else are we going to print my money? Mm-hmm. We ain't. Mm-hmm. we going to print mine. You? Only not here. Uh, boss, I-, I hate to tell you this, but I think we've been snookered. Well, you're the sheriff, ain't you? Right.
0: Arrest them snookerers.
2: Yeah. E- folks, Well, <laughs> no, I'll arrest them. I'll cuff them and stuff them. Mm-hmm. I'll cuff them and stuff
0: them like And while George Sheriff Coltrane can't mean, seem to put I'm a cork in it, the tank guys Okele shut him vibrate.
2: up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just... On second thought,
0: I'm going to let him off with just a warning. Just then, the fraudulent dukes free up Boss and Roscoe, just in time for them to do more backpedaling than a BMX racer.
2: Well, we spotted that green machine you yeah. boys told us about, and uh, and uh, well, we followed it here, uh, so uh, the sheriff could arrest who was ever in it. He's one to planned the whole thing. I got you yeah, I planned the whole thing to stop him from bankrupting the whole U.S. of A. Yeah, yeah, that's my law-abiding duty as a patriotic right. law-abiding citizen, ain't it?
0: And now we get to our final chase of the episode. The boys track down the green machine, which fires up the flamethrower once again. Afterwards, in true Duke's fashion, the boys eventually stop the machine using one of their famed flaming arrows. Or, to be fair, ones that Bo and Luke left behind.
1: Anytime you're ready, Coy. Anytime you're ready. All right, join the Air Force and see the world. You better get moving, we are going to see the world.
0: The bad guys lose, the good guys win, and peace is restored to Hazard County once again.
1: Now you might say that everything was back to normal. Uh, except for one little thing. When the boys went out to get the mean green machine, it was gone. Only I got a sneaking hunch that someday it'll be showing up in Hazard again.
0: Yeah, thankfully we don't give two possums tales about the green machine. Though, incidentally, it did return for the series 100th episode later that year, Spoiler alert, the Dukes win that one too. And at the same time, the viewing audience didn't really care for the new Dukes either. Or at least, that would be the case eventually. People certainly tuned in to see what the new Dukes would be like, and the show handily won its time slot like it always did. But then, word of mouth started taking place. After a few weeks, the show's ratings started to slip, then slide, then fall until by December of 1982, they eventually bombed out. What was once a top 10 rated hit show suddenly dipped below 50th place out of a possible 77 shows that year and was in danger of being canceled. The audience made it very clear that while these replacement actors were simply okay, they were certainly no match for the originals. And it would take a miracle for the residents of Hazard County to live to see another day. And as luck would have it, a silver lining emerged by the mid-season of 1983. As John Schneider, Tom Mopat, and Warner Brothers all came to an undisclosed agreement regarding the dispute, both parties' lawsuits would be dropped, and Bo and Luke would write again. And so, on February 25th, 1983, the Duke boys were back in action.
2: Bo and Luke, Luke!
0: Oh, well, we ain't exactly home for a visit, Uncle Jesse. We're home for good.
2: What? <laughs> yep. What happened? You in trouble?
1: No, shoot. We, things no, ain't gonna there been ain't no
0: trouble. Listen, we talk about it later over dinner, all right? And that's all fine and good. But what about Coy and Vance? After all, despite the dive in the ratings, they still managed to keep things going while Schneider and Wopat were away. Doesn't that count for something? Reportedly, after the disputes were settled, the producers of the show publicly said that they hope to utilize both Cherry and Mayer for as long as they can, and that they were always welcome in Hazard County. Of course, seeing the writing on the wall ratings-wise, as well as the undeniable fact that show business is still very much a business no matter how fun it could be, the replacement Dukes leave Hazard County within the first ten minutes of Bo and Luke's return.
1: <laughs> sure looks like y'all took good care of the General Lee. from General took good care of us. Yeah. Keys are generally. This is kind of like changing to the guard at Buckingham Palace. There you go. There you go, buddy. All right, man. Take care of yourself. Stop in trouble. Thanks for holding down the fort, all right? right. Keep between the ditches, all right? right. (laughs) Well, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) What a peer.
0: Showbiz rule number one no job is permanent. Not even a thankless job. But at least they left with dignity, which is far more than I can say about other TV characters that got an unceremonious boot. And we'll put a pin in that one for the future. So where do the clone Duke boys land while driving off the cliffs of Telehell County? Buckle up as we take the General E down our nine-circle dirt road. Yee-haw! Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, sorrow, treachery! you would think that the Greed Circle would be a shoo-in. Well, it is, but not for the reason you think. If you thought the Emergency Dukes were all Schneider and Wopat's fault, it's pretty easy to make that assumption. After all, their leaving the show temporarily due to money issues caused all of this to happen in the first place. But this is one of the rare times when the blame is actually misdirected. After all, Bo and Luke were entitled to 100% of their back wages, and they fought hard to get it. Nothing greedy about that, it's just a matter of principle. If anything, Warner Brothers turned out to be the greedier party involved. Not just sparring with the stars in the countersuit, but also treating them like something disposable and trying to replace them in the process. Schneider and Wopat are in the clear, WB gets the circle. At the same time, once the reveal of the replacement Dukes were made public, the core audience not only smelled fraud from a mile away, but they made it clear to both Warner Brothers and CBS that just because they were in a rural audience doesn't mean that they were roofs that others pegged them to be. The audience's wrath was clearly invoked, and ratings bottomed out more than the General Lee's engine block after a poorly timed jump. As far as the actors who replaced them goes, they were there to do their job, and given the situation that brought them there, they still had to make do with what they were given. More importantly, they still managed to keep the show afloat until the stars came back, and the show still managed to log two more years of mileage after the fact, plus the series still managed to bounce back from its cratering by finishing in 30 place for the season. So as much as this was one of your classic WTF moments in TV history, you can't really blame Cherry and Mayer for doing their jobs. So despite their best efforts, we need to give them a special version of the Limbo Circle. Yes, they were on for most of the season, but for the producers to say that they hope to continue to be a part of the show, only to be swept under the rug before the first commercial break after initially being treated like we've known them all along, that's probably as shabby a treatment as one could get, especially when tasked with the thankless job of trying to keep a hit TV show alive. The emergency backup Dukes of Hazard earns four out of nine circles of telehell. While the old expression, the show must go on, certainly applied here, this all would have been avoided if Warner Brothers simply stopped acting like holier-than-thou snobs and give their stars what they rightfully deserved in the first place. They thought of another old showbiz saying, Any publicity is good publicity. The problem there was that WB put too little faith in the so-called flyover country of the United States, and that just because the people watching hailed from a certain part of the country, it didn't mean that they all collectively fell off the turnip truck. They actually cared about what they watched. Hell, in certain parts of the country, high school football games had to be rescheduled because of just how popular the Dukes were on a Friday night. Still though, the damage was done once the status quo was eventually restored. As we mentioned, The show lasted another two years, but the legacy of the show managed to continue thanks to several TV reunion movies in the 90s. A big screen adaptation in 2005, and a made-for-DVD prequel in 2007. The TV movies were welcomed with open arms. The bigger budgeted movies became hate watch fuel for years to come. But even that didn't matter, because despite all the negative press, emergency casting, even a removal from cable channels due to ongoing Confederate flag-related brouhaha's, the Dukes of Hazard will continue to be one of those shows that people will ride or die with, no matter what others say about it. As for the backup Dukes, even though they wound up as a footnote in Hazard County history, the experience still turned out to be the best thing that could have happened to either one of them. Although Byron Cherry is largely retired from acting, he continues to do so to this day. Most recently, he's filming small roles for three independent movies scheduled to be released in the next few years. But the rest of the time, he is the owner and operator of Byron's Bar Keep, a bar based out of Ventura, California. As for Christopher Chip Mayer, the Duke's experience opened a few more doors and solidified his stance as a durable character actor, including a recurring role on the classic soap opera, Santa Barbara, But also parts on such classic hits as Simon and Simon, The Love Boat, Too Close for Comfort, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Silk Stockings, a role in the movie Liar Liar, and even an episode of Baywatch where, ironically enough, he plays someone named Vance. Unfortunately, Mayer's story has a sad ending, as in 2011, he passed away from seemingly natural causes. He was only 57. Both backup Dukes were as much an oddity to the show as they were a necessity. Hell, they didn't even get their own special feature on the Season 5 DVD release. And we should know, because thanks to there being barely any clips of it on YouTube, we had to buy the box set just to get clips for the episodes. Not exactly the best $8.52 we had to spend to get our work done, but we did it. But for what it's worth... If the duo were accepted by the audience more than they were accepted by the crew of the show, there's no doubt that they could have had their own spin-off eventually. Not for nothing, but in a random Google search, there turns out to be a town in Kentucky called Hazard. Perhaps they could have been the dukes of that town and just let Bo and Luke continue to be a pair of modern-day Robin Hoods in rural Georgia. Unfortunately, this turned out to be a series of hard-driven lessons for everyone involved. Number 1. Don't Mess With Success Number two, if you owe somebody back wages, make it right. And number three, and most importantly, never underestimate the power of the so-called flyover country. They may seem like they have everything backwards, but if they're able to pick up on the fact that their beloved Confederate flag bearers have been replaced by relative unknowns, maybe they're not as dumb as they look.
1: (laughs) Next time on
0: tele the 71st annual Emmy Awards happen next week. And if you thought we'd let this season go by without discussing one of their biggest mistakes, think again. They would pick a guy out once a year and wine him and dine him for a year. And at the end of the year, they take him to the top of a pyramid, shake his hand and throw him down the stairs. Until then. If it's not IntelliHell, it's not worth a damn TeleHell is now on Stitcher. Go to Stitcher.com, type in the word TeleHell, and catch up on all the shows that we put up so far. And don't forget, we're also still on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and, of course, our own website, telehell.libsyn.com. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, and share on our social feeds. Twitter and Facebook, both at Telehell Podcast.